And what I want to do now is talk a little bit about the Bible and how I came to be a Christian. I wasn't born in a Christian home, and so, so this is something that, that I came to uh, after I had, had left home. And what I'd like to do is share with you some portions from the Bible. If we could uh, just bow in prayer, I'd like to pray before I teach this, okay? Father, I pray for your grace to be poured out. Lord, I pray that you open up the Word of God to us and you teach us. Teach us, O Lord, from the Word of God. I pray that you would touch each heart here and minister the truth and the life of Jesus Christ to them. Father, open up the hearts, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to take you through the same sequence that, that I went through, actually, when, when, uh, when somebody first shared the Bible with me. And, and one of the things that really struck me, it was very unusual, because I, I grew up, actually, in a Jewish home, in a secular Jewish home in New York City. And so I had never heard much about Jesus Christ, in fact, very little. You actually know more now about Jesus Christ than I did when I was 18 years old. I didn't even know that there was a claim that he had died for my sins. I didn't even know that there was such a claim. And, but what really struck me is when I went to college, I started meeting a lot of Christians because I came from a community that was, that was uh, predominantly Jewish. And when I went to... Uh, to college, I started meeting Christians, and it was an unusual experience for me, because they were very nice, they were really very nice people, and I was attracted to Christianity because of the people. And I remember seeing them in the, in the cafeteria there in college, and they would sit in groups at the table, and they'd be eating, and they'd invite me to sit with them. And when they were eating, they would be laughing and talking, and their laughter was always with joy. The laughter that I had known from groups of people, whenever a person, whenever a group of people was laughing, they were laughing at somebody. But that wasn't the case with the Christians. Their laughter was not laughing at somebody. They were just enjoying each other. And I was struck by that, by how nice people were. And so when one young man began to share with me, he, he told me he wanted to share with me some of the claims of Jesus Christ from the Bible. And I, I invited him to my room. I said, okay, you can come and share with me. And he started out by sharing a verse with me from Romans chapter 3, verse 23, which says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said, everybody has sinned. Everybody has committed acts of sin. And I remember very specifically looking at his face and saying, I have not sinned. The concept of sin was not real in my life. I had never killed anybody, never shot anyone. And so I was comparing myself to murderers. And so on that basis, I said, I have not sinned. And then he turned to a certain verse in the Bible, which really caught my attention. And you will find this, if, if, you, if you ever try to read the Bible, you will find, you will read something that will make you stop 
and you'll, you'll, be, you, you, you'll stop and you say, oh my goodness, I've something here. And he read to me from Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. He says, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is a very interesting verse, that Jesus should say such a thing. That if a man looks at a woman with lust for her, he has committed adultery already in his heart. And I remember when he read that verse, something happened in my heart. The realization that I was a sinner. And I remember saying to him, if that is the... If that is the definition of a sin, I'm a sinner. And then he read to me a verse out of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in other words, the Bible says, that because I was a sinner, I deserved to die. Now that die is, just, is different than just the physical death. It meant an eternal death. But it says that I could have an eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't believe in eternal life. I was a student of science. I didn't believe in this. Many things in the Bible I didn't believe, but it was an interesting book. And then he revealed to me also a, a verse out of Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, which say that if you're willing to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that He has risen from the dead, you shall be saved. It's very interesting that I should confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that He's risen from the dead and then I will be saved. And I began to think about this. And I started to read the Bible every day every day of my life. So I started in a place right at the beginning in the book Genesis, which is the first book. In the first chapter and the first verse. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And I started to read the Bible. And I would read every day where I left off the day before. Every day I would read. So... For over 30 years, I've read this book every day. And then when I get done, I got done, it was in Revelation chapter 22. That's the last book of the Bible. And then I started again, and I read it through. And I got done, and I started again, and I read it through. So I've read this book, and I've studied this book more than I study chemistry more than I study nanotechnology. And the amazing thing is the absolute internal consistency 
and especially of one particular fact, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The more I study this, the more I investigate it, this man died and he rose from the dead. And he lives forever. And if you're looking for another data point, you're not going to find it. This man's life was very unusual. But what I also learned about his life was the way he lived his life. He had such power that he could touch a man and the man would be healed. He could speak a word and the blind would see. But what was so unusual about this man is that his success did not corrupt him. Every person that I know, including myself, as I start to have successes, I start to become more and more ugly in my attitude toward other people. Can you imagine a man that could heal the sick, that could raise the dead, that could cast out demons. And the people seek to make him king. He says, I have nothing to do with that. That a man could do what he did and not be corrupted by it. That he could live a life so loving people. You know what happens? What happens when you, when you first join a job? You're very nice to everyone and you say hello, you try to greet everybody. But then after you've been there for ten years and you're in charge, you're not so nice anymore. Because as, as I start to get more and more power and more and more authority, I find myself corrupted. But this man was very different. That struck me. Let me read you a passage from Isaiah. This is in the Old Testament. This was written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And it prophesied what Jesus would be like. So 700 years before his birth. And you say, well, it really wasn't read, written 700 years before his birth. It was really written 700 years before his birth. The only reason why you would say that is because you know nothing about it. If you investigate this, you would find out that indeed this was written long before the birth of Jesus. And you say, well, how do we know? Well, there's something called the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in the 1930s. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written before the birth of Jesus Christ. They were hidden. They were hidden before the birth of Jesus Christ. They were found. Documents were found. This book is there in its entirety. In fact, every book of the Bible is listed in the Dead Sea Scrolls except for one short book, the book of Esther. And it says that Jesus, in Isaiah chapter 53, it says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, 
And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. You know, this describes perfectly the life of Jesus. It says that there was nothing physically in Jesus that made him attractive to people. There was nothing there that made him physically attractive to people. And in fact, it says that he was despised and forsaken of men. That many men hated Jesus. And you would say, well, why would they hate Jesus? Because he upset the religious authorities. Because he loved people. Because he cared for them. Because he preached the truth. Whenever anybody speaks the truth about our lives... What happens? We take offense. You know, we say, oh, I, I respect the truth. Yeah, we respect the truth until it starts to, to poke at me. Until it starts to hurt me. And it says, he was like one from whom men hide their face. That means when Jesus would come, some men would just turn away. They wanted nothing to do with him. I had felt that sort of pain in my life. And I would suspect that everyone here has felt the pain of rejection at some point in their life. You may have been rejected by a parent. You may have been rejected by a spouse. You may have been rejected by one who you loved. You may have been rejected by a, a, a son or a daughter. But the pain of rejection is extremely powerful. And this man knew rejection. And yet he loved people. He was so different than a typical man. So different. Have you ever experienced the pain of rejection? Where a group of other people laughs at you? I've felt that pain. Have you ever felt that pain? You know what it's like. It says Jesus was rejected. He was despised and forsaken of men. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, it says, His appearance was marred more than any other man. And his form more than the sons of men. Meaning that Jesus was so beaten. You've seen the movie. So beaten. That his face was marred more than any other man. And yet he should say from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is not a typical man. He's different. You study his life, he is different. He knows the pain of rejection. He knows what it is to see loved ones leave him. And to me, this is a precious one to have as my Lord. Because he knows the pain that I have felt. And he knows the pain that you have felt. And he loves the sinner 
the scriptures say. To me, that is amazing. And as I read this book and studied this book day after day after day, it was so internally consistent, so historically consistent. And then I felt the power of Him in my life. I was in my dormitory room all alone on November 7th, 1977. And I got down on my knees. Never before had I gotten down on my knees. I don't know what moved me to do this. And I said, Lord, I am a sinner. Would you please forgive me and come into my life? Because the Bible has said that He will take up residence within you. He will live within you if you invite Him. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And I said, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. And I felt as if there was a presence in my room. There was nobody else in there. And I opened my eyes, I saw nothing. But it felt as if someone was in my room with me. And I remember the sense of joy that I had. It's something that I never had before. I finally felt cleansed of my sins. Never before had I felt this. And I was weeping. I was crying in my room. I had never cried like this before. And I didn't want to get up because this presence was so wonderful in my midst. I didn't see it. But something was there. Something happened to me on that day, November 7th, 1977. And I never told anybody for two weeks. And then one young man on my floor who had shared those verses with me said to me, he says, Jim, have you asked Jesus into your heart? And remember, I was from a Jewish home. So this was not an easy thing to confess. I said, yes, I think I have. What made you ask? He said, I have never seen you stop smiling for weeks. Something happened. I had a joy like I never had before. I had peace like I never had before. It was different. When I began to read this book, my understanding was like it had never been before. Jesus came into my life and He started to change my life. He started to give me victory over sins that had engulfed me, that I had found so hard to break free from. The reason why God used this verse of lusting after a woman and committing adultery with her in your heart because of the struggles that I had in this very area. And God freed me on that day. There were other struggles that were not freed immediately. But I was sensing victory day by day.
And I began to pray. And I began to seek God. And for what He would do in my life. And I began to memorize portions of the Bible. And I began to see the change and what would happen. So, for example, it talks about in the Bible again and again the blessings that will come if we take the Bible and meditate on this book. If we read this book and study this book, the blessings that will come. For example, in Psalm 1, the book of Psalms, chapter 1, it says, How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So look what it says. It says, if we take this book and we think about it, read it and think about it, day and night, something's going to happen. And it says what, is hap- what will happen. It describes it. It says, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. This is what it says. It says that you're going to be like a tree. You're going to be bearing fruit, even when all others around you are drying up. You're going to be bearing fruit. This is what will happen. This is what will happen if you will meditate on this word. So I started to do it. And then there was another portion that I came across in Psalm 119. And whatever it said, I believed it. But again, the promise was hooked up to reading this Bible and thinking about it. It says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. And I understand more than the aged, because I have observed thy precepts. So what does it say? It says, if I meditate on this book, if I read this book and study it, He will give me more insight than all my teachers. I had had the good fortune to study under some very good teachers. The Bible promises that I would have more insight than all my teachers if I read this book. And I believed it. And I saw what God did in my life when I believed this book. It was different than any other book. The things that were spoken and that would happen. You know, I prayed for a wife and God gave me a wonderful wife. I never could have seen down the road how well she would compliment my ministry. And the things that I valued. And he gives many promises as well concerning children. How many of you have children? You know, the Bible has a promise if you meditate on this book. 
a promise for your children if you meditate on this book. In Psalm 112, it says, Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. If you take this book and delight in His commandments, that means read this with delight. Here's what's going to happen. If you do this, he says, His descendants, that means that man's children, His descendants will be mighty on this earth, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. If you meditate on this book, God will bless not just you, but your children. Your children. For ten years, I went into the prisons in the United States, maximum security prisons. And whenever I met a very hard man who didn't want to talk, I would say, do you have children that I can pray for? And right away, the hard man would soften. He would say, yes, I have children. Because everyone I ever knew wants the very best for their children. You want good for your children? Take this book and meditate on it. God will bless your children. He'll make them mighty on this earth, and He will bless them. That's the promise. This book is filled with promises. But every promise, every promise is coupled to some act of obedience. I have not been able to find a single promise in this book that's not coupled to some act of obedience. The ones that I just read you were coupled to delighting in this word and meditating on it. That's what will happen. Your lives are precious. Precious and very valuable to God. Very valuable. I ask you to take your Bibles and begin to read it and say, God, if this is true, teach me. And let Him begin to teach you. And then as you find faith rise up in your heart, then ask God to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and you too can experience the very same joy that I felt. Every desire, every pain, every struggle that I have, God is concerned with. Every struggle, every pain, every joy that you have, God is concerned with. He is concerned about you. Give your lives to Him. Understand what it is to walk with God. I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for these precious lives these men, these women who have come here to study. Father, I pray that the truth of Jesus Christ would just drill right down into their hearts. That these words that I've spoken this evening would resonate within them. Father, You can turn their hearts. And I pray that You would so do that. 
that you would turn them to your Son. Father, open up their hearts and turn them to you. Father, soften them. You know every struggle, every hurt, every pain that they have been through. The thoughts that they have about their spouses, their children. Father, you know everything about them. Do what it takes to draw them to Jesus, I pray. Open up their hearts and open up their lives. And I commit them to you. Father, have mercy on them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.